The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr. Fallon and Dr. Laura acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respects to the elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome back to Brand New Little People. I'm Dr. Fallon. And I'm Dr. Laura. Uh, Laura, we were having a great chat the other day about, you know, this sort of transition I think that all parents have to make across, you know, sort of across the first few years or so. You know, when when our babies are really, really tiny, most of their crying and upset behaviour and kind of big emotions has, you know, a root cause. There's something that they kind of need um, and our job as parents is to try and obviously meet all those needs. But as they Mm -hmm. get older, crying and big upset and emotions can start to happen for a range of things. And it's not always something they urgently need, especially for toddlers. Sometimes it's Mm -hmm. a huge tantrum about, you know, the wrong colored plate or something (laughs) like that, or, you know, this food was touching that food or, you know, something else. Um, And navigating that is really challenging. Um, And yeah, so we were sort of talking about how, how do parents best navigate that? Yeah, that's right. Um, And I think that a lot of us can be quite scarred um, from those first few months with a little baby where you feel like you're on this uh, relentless treadmill, um, absolutely needing to um, address all of um, this new little person's needs. Um, And whenever there's a cry, you're thinking, what is it? Are you too hot? Are you too cold? Is something hurting you? Are you hungry? What is it? Um, Mm. And then... It, because time goes so, so quickly um, with a little baby, um, before you know it, you've kind of entered the realm of um, older babyhood. And um, sometimes that your baby is crying, not because there's actually something that you need to address, but because they are expressing a preference or a want. Um, and they can be expressing that really loudly. And then it's important that we think about what our job is as a parent. Um, and at this point, it's not about ensuring that we're addressing the um, the need. Uh, that cry isn't about a need that the child is having. It's about thinking through as a parent, is what they want good for them? And is what they mm. want actually something that I do need to address right now? Um, and if it isn't, then needing to be respectful of that big emotion that your baby or toddler is feeling. Um, and um, But being respectful means not um, giving in or not saying, okay, you can have that thing that you really want even though you don't need it and it doesn't, it's not gonna be good for you. Um, but um, it can be about supporting your child to understand that they can't have that thing that they're crying for. Um, Mm. And um, just being there for your baby or toddler um, and loving them through that big emotion that they're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's sort of our job as parents isn't to remove all the obstacles that might upset our children. Our job is Mm. to kind of sit with them and help them learn how to manage their emotions 
through those challenges. You know, there are going to be upsetting things that happen in life that we're, where we can't kind of remove the cause of that problem. Um, and mm. we just have to, you know, our role as parents is to help kind of coach them through those emotions. So they learn that, you know, sometimes we feel big emotions, but those emotions do pass and things are, are okay again. And we can calm back down from that. Um, I think there are, you know, a lot of parents who, struggle with this transition I know I did too from mm. having a tiny baby where every pretty much every cry kind of means they need something to then starting to notice that you're getting yeah crying that doesn't really have a cause or could be related mm. to preference or you know it's like those classic times when you know you're in the supermarket with your toddler and they want to get um you know something ridiculous like I don't know a block of chocolate or a bag of lollies mm. or something and you have to say no and they're going to have a huge tantrum and really crack yeah. it in the supermarket and it's those times where you go okay well if I remove the obstacle, then that would mean buying the bag of lollies, but that's yeah. not actually going to be helpful. <laughs> it's not going to be yes. great for their dental health, but also <laughs> they're not kind of learning about how, look, sometimes you aren't going to get exactly what you want to get and you're going mm. to feel like rubbish. You're going to feel cranky and mad. Um, but, you know, it's a perfect opportunity to try and coach them through that emotion, to sit with them with it and say, I'm sorry, you know, we can't have that right now. I know that you're feeling really cranky about it, but we're going to feel yeah. better soon and to kind of support yeah. them through that. Um, the other That's thing right. I think to avoid too, I don't know what you think about this, Laura, but a lot of parents will say, oh, we just distract them. You know, if they're cranky about something, we just create a bit of a diversion and then move on with the next thing. And I think sometimes that mm. can be helpful I mean certainly mm -hmm. you know if you're in the supermarket sometimes you do want to create a distraction because you yes. just want to get out of there um, and you don't want everyone to be staring at you um, but what do you think Laura about distracting toddlers and preschools especially if you're around home do you think it's a good yeah. idea or? yeah I think distraction has um, its place um, like you were saying um, so if you're out and about and you really need to um, uh, finish a, a task that uh, has to be finished then it may be that you need to distract um, your child and show them something uh, something different just so that you can um, get a task done um, but if you're just at home and um, you're not trying to um, move them into a new schedule where you're um, helping them stay awake for a little bit longer in the evening you know if it's um, uh, yeah, they're just having a big emotion about, um, yeah, the, the peas touching the sausage, for example, on the plate, <laughs> um, then um, it can be really useful to help um, your child learn that this big emotion that they feel in their bodies um, is going to pass um, and distracting them from that feeling can mean that opportunities for them to learn that that feeling will pass if you sit with it um, is missed. So um, I will often say to the families that I'm working with that your job with your older babies and toddlers isn't to stop them from feeling that big emotion. It's to hold them and love them and support them before the emotion comes on, during the emotion and after the emotion has passed. So you love them unconditionally, even when they're having those big emotions and you will love them when the emotion has passed and they themselves then gain more and more experience of learning that that emotion will pass and that big uncomfortable feeling in their body isn't their new normal. <laughs> it's going to go away. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we see this so much, you know, with toddlers and preschoolers 
at bedtime. So we certainly see a lot of toddlers and preschoolers who have a lot of very clever bedtime delay tactics where they <laughs> sort of know that if I ask for this or demand this other thing, then bedtime can go on and on and on. And they just really invested in keeping their parents with them and engaged and busy for as long as possible because they're, they're really wanting to avoid mm-hmm. falling asleep. And look, there can be lots of different causes for that, that, you know, we won't go into today, but so often um, parents do, uh, you know, when we start to try and implement a bit of a bedtime routine and help toddlers settle down quicker for sleep, it's going to mean saying no to some of the things they want. So if you've read your three books and they want an extra one, look, there might be the odd occasion where, of course, you can read an extra story. But if you're really working on kind of getting that bedtime routine on track, then you might just have to say no. And they, I have no doubt, they'll get really cross about it. (laughs) They Mm. will get really stroppy. And sometimes parents think, oh, I need to stop that from happening because otherwise they're not going to fall asleep because they're all worked up. And I would say if you've got the time, then you don't need to stop it from happening. Sit with it. Let them get really, really cross and cranky and sit there quietly and be ready to give them a hug when they're ready. And they'll realise then that, yeah, they're sort of realising that when mum or dad or another caregiver says that that's enough stories, they really mean it. It really does Mm -hmm. mean that it's time to settle down for sleep. Um, And that's such a valuable lesson for those toddlers as well. And obviously sleep's worth protecting. It's important things. So um, trying to ride out some of those big emotions to keep bedtime on track can be really, really important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Mm. So Fallon, we had a few questions come through, didn't we, from our Sombell members this week? Do you want to kind of kick us off with one of the first questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we had Sophia email us last week. um, And this is what she said. She said, we loved Sombell. Woohoo! <laughs> Love hearing that. <laughs> we saw a massive improvement in our five-month-old sleep. We used the supported accelerated approach because we were up every hour through the night. So I think that's oh. a really sensible decision. The supported yeah. accelerated approach tends to kind of work pretty quickly um, and gives your baby lots and lots of support. And being up hourly in the night, that's painful. <laughs> so mm, good call yes. on making some changes. Um, and Sophia goes on to say, since starting Sombell two weeks ago, she started to sleep through the night, which is amazing. Oh, that is a huge turnaround. Yeah. Sophia says she doesn't mind the cot if you get the timing right. So if she's too awake, she will scream the house down. Oh, mm-hmm. But since doing oh. the course, I'm aware that she's a lower sleep needs baby and is actually happier with extended wake windows of up to three hours which leads to no resistance when put down in the cot. Gosh, Laura, isn't that a good example of how just finding the right rhythm that fits a baby's sleep needs is just Mm. game-changing? Absolutely. Yeah, you can hear it. You can hear the relief in the words. um, Yeah, absolutely. To go from tricky cot settling to just no resistance, that's Mm. the power of getting that timing piece right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then Sophia says, recently though, probably since around night nine of making the changes, she started to wake up crying every hour or two and needs to be resettled. I often pick her up and feed her and then put her back in her cot. She's given a top-up bottle of breast milk after her feed before bed, so it seems unlikely that she could be hungry. And we've got to remember Mm. that this baby was sleeping right through the night with no feeds. She's Mm. still five months though, so having the odd feed at night, you know, is pretty normal. So Sophia asks, do you know why this could be happening? Mm -hmm. Um, What's the first thing that comes to your mind, Laura? 
is it yes we do know why this would be coming <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, this is uh, we see this so so often don't we it's really really common um, mm. for babies to um, go through a little bit of a rough patch somewhere between a week or two after starting a new settling approach at bedtime um, uh, once you start to teach a baby to um, go to sleep in their cot um, it can, you can have a tricky first few nights as you introduce a new settling approach and then you can think, oh, I am home and hosed, particularly if you're using the supported accelerated approach. And um, then I, I often feel like it's um, you get lulled into this sense of false sense of security um, for a good few days where you're thinking, well, this is awesome. Um, and that seems to be mm. what um, Sophia is um, describing. And then somewhere between, oh, look, seven to 12 days-ish, sometimes a little bit longer for some babies. It's um, very common for them to hit this rough patch where um, it's almost like they... Um, are thinking, do you know what? I quite liked being rocked to sleep or I quite liked <laughs> co-sleeping with mum and dad. Any chance, any, you know, little slim chance that we can go back to that, please. Um, and uh, what's really important is when you do, if that does happen for you and your baby, that you stick with that settling approach that you um, that you have been using, so that you stay a hundred percent consistent and predictable, and that will help your baby get through this rough patch, which may last. Yeah, it might just be one extra settle, or it might be for an extra one or two nights, sometimes three if you're really unlucky. Um, mm. um, best to just try and stay really as predictable as you can in that time and then you're going to be home and hosed after that what do you yes. think Fallon yeah no I completely agree it's like they kind of go well maybe I'll just cry out a bit more we'll just see like will mum and dad change how they settle me um, they're just kind of testing the waters to see what you do and it's really hard not to feel rattled like a lot of parents will say oh well we did this thing and it worked but then you know, a couple of weeks later, it just stopped working. And yes, um, and it's such a shame to hear that because you know that, oh, it's probably only going to be a few tricky settles and then things will be back on track again. So yeah, try not to be rattled by that. It is really normal. Just try to be that really calm, you know, reassuring presence for your baby and show them that you're there to support them, but you're just going to persist, you know, with the cot settling. And it might mean that you do a few extra feeds or a few extra cuddles and things overnight, but just begin them back into the cot to fall asleep um, and giving them your support through that so Sophia hopefully if you're listening in um, this might have even already passed I hope that it has um, yeah. and if it hasn't just hang in there because they they do get through it and things tend to get a whole lot better Excellent. Um, you know I was going to talk today as well Laura we we had this social media post the other day that kind of blew up we got um, lots of shares and, and things out of it um, and it was a post about how you do not have to give your baby a long lunchtime nap if they don't want it. And the yes. reason I wanted to post about that was because we see so many families who are really wedded to these really strict kind of daytime um, nap routines that are supposed to be kind of like this magic fix that are really, you know, supposed to really help their baby sleep. Um, mm. And so often we find that it just doesn't. So if you are really trying to force a longer lunchtime nap and you happen to have a baby who has a lower need for sleep than average, 
if mm-hmm. you actually do manage to get them to have that longer nap, there's a really good chance that nights are going to get really difficult and they'll be more mm. wakeful because they're just getting more sleep than they need during the daytime and that could impact their nights. But often we also see the opposite as well, where babies are lying there awake for you know, sometimes two hours, awake in their cot in a dark room in the middle of the day with mm. an exhausted parent sitting in the dark room beside them as well, trying to support them to fall asleep. Mm. And that's not healthy for anyone. It's terrible for parent mental health because you don't want to be stuck in a dark room for hours every day. No. And those babies who are lying there awake, they're awake because they need to be playing and interacting and learning about the world. And they're actually missing out on the chance to do that. So, you know, if you've got a rigid daily routine and you have a long lunch nap and that works really well for your baby, that is absolutely perfectly fine and keep doing Mm -hmm. it for as long as it works for you. But if you are struggling, trying to make this long lunchtime nap happen, you absolutely have our permission to stop mm-hmm. that You know, from today. You know, maybe they're just going to have a cat nap. It's fine. If they'd rather be awake and they're pretty happy to be awake, um, yeah. you don't need to feel like you've got to keep pushing for this long lunchtime nap. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Uh, and some babies actually prefer having their longest nap first thing in the morning, don't they, Fallon? Oh, um, a lot of them. The, yeah. Yeah. First nap is often the longest one, and then they get shorter throughout the day. So, um, yeah, I know most of our Sombell parents will have worked out their baby's unique sleep needs and will have um, will have a really clear idea of what's working um, well for their babies. And if your baby is not a long lunchtime napper, that's okay. Don't stress. Um, don't feel that you need to keep them um, in their cot and you'd be resettling them after one sleep cycle for you know yeah. up to half an hour or longer. You um, that that isn't necessary. Um, so just yes. follow your baby's leads. Um, and mm. um, yeah, and don't stress about that long uh, lunchtime nap if it doesn't suit your baby. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really good advice. And it's really important to keep in mind too that over the first couple of years, your baby's sleep needs are going to gradually reduce over time. So it's really important to be thinking flexibly. You know, there are going to be Mm. times where the nap schedule you might have been working to It might have worked really well for a few months and then suddenly you're like, hang on, this doesn't quite fit anymore. Um, So, you know, if you're really married to a strict schedule, it can feel really difficult to, um, you know, go and change things up. So it's okay to be a little bit flexible, um, Mm. you know, with things so that then when their sleep needs do start to reduce a little bit, you're ready to kind of roll with the punches, (laughs) as I often (laughs) say, because it can feel a little tricky, you know, when they do, um, you know, drop naps and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we, Laura, we just had this question come through literally like two minutes before we started recording this podcast. <laughs> and we thought, why not? We'll just try and squeeze it in there. Um, yeah. So this is an email from a Sombell parent, Diana. Um, and she's got an 11-month-old baby. She's been working through Sombell. She's realized that her baby seems to need around about 12 hours of sleep per 24 hours. Um, and she's having a few struggles. So... Mm. She says um, she's finding that her baby is taking longer and longer to get tired for the second nap that she's having Mm -hmm. each day and that that's really pushing back bedtime. So sometimes bedtime is getting as late as 9 p.m. and they're kind of struggling with that. But she still seems to need that second nap. So she's tired and ready for that second nap. Um, Mm -hmm. So Diana's wondering, what can they do about that? You know, they kind of want bedtime to be a bit earlier, but she still needs that second nap. Um, Laura, what are your first thoughts? 
Well, I think that this is a really good example, Fallon, of um, when those age-based rules um, and schedules do not suit a particular child. Um, mm. what, this child is 11 months old um, and she's starting to show, or not starting, she is showing signs that she is ready to drop a nap. and. Um, those signs um, include that um, it takes a long time for the baby to go to sleep for the second nap and if they do have that second nap that it can really start to um, impact the time that baby's ready to go to sleep at the start of the night um, so even though diana's baby is just 11 months old um, i think that this is a really good case for um, a early dropper of a nap um, and yeah. she's probably ready to um, to move to one longer nap um, around the middle of the day and that is going to start to um, mean that the baby is going to be able to go to sleep probably around eight o'clock at night um, because her sleep pressure and sl drive to sleep is going to be so much higher at an earlier mm. point in the night than it currently is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a classic example of where they're kind of a baby can get stuck in a bit of a cycle. So if she has two day naps, bedtime pushes late. Um, she's also quite an early riser as well. So with not getting very much nighttime sleep, she's then quite tired in the daytime. So then needs two naps. But if she has two naps, then, you know, yes. it kind of keeps repeating itself over and over. And it can feel really challenging for parents stuck in this cycle to even consider dropping a nap because you think, gosh, they really need it. They're really tired. Like they need mm. this nap. Um, but the only way to kind of get out of that cycle and to bring bedtime that little bit earlier again is really going to be to just drop down to one longer nap in the middle of the day. So yeah. that will be really hard for the first few days. It will be really challenging. Um, you're really going to be stretching her out a little bit longer than you used to. Um, but once she makes that transition, she should fall into a better pattern where she's having a longer night, wakes up more refreshed, better able to get through the day on just the one nap. Um, and yeah. it kind of factors into the sort of second question. You sort of touched on this, Laura. Um, mm -hmm. Diana asked, can we alter the balance between night and day sleep? Um, she'd rather have an earlier bedtime of around 8 p.m. and even a longer sleeping if they can get it as well. Absolutely, you can alter it. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. It's going to depend a little bit on the age of your baby and what they're ready for. But since she is you know, pushing that second nap very late and having that late bedtime, look, I would say she needs about 12 hours of sleep. I mean, what you could potentially aim for, Diana, would be maybe the, the lunchtime nap is for one and a half to two hours, somewhere around that mark. Yeah. Um, you're probably going to find she's well and truly ready for bed by 8 p.m. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's a good chance she'll probably make it through to about 6.30, um, you know, an hour and a half day sleep, and that's about, what, 10 and a half hours overnight. So it's probably not a bad balance of sort of daytime sleep and nighttime sleep. Um, yeah. So that could be something that you, you aim for. And just know that the first, look, I always say to parents, the first week is just going to be crap. <laughs> You're going yeah. to hate it. It's like adjusting to jet lag. You know, it's a big change to their daily schedule, but it's worth doing and it's worth pushing on with because once she does get into that rhythm, um, yeah, she's probably going to be a lot happier baby. You are going to get a bit of time back in your evenings. You're going to get a longer sleep in for yourself as well. And that's really important for your well-being. But also once she makes that change, there's a really good chance that she'll be, you know, sticking to that one nap schedule for probably a year um, until she's yeah. ready to drop that nap. So once you make that shift, you've, you're going to have things quite settled for a good amount of time. 
Yeah. The only other thing I would add, Fallon, is that in that first week, um, if Diana is finding that her baby is really struggling to get to um, the 8 p.m. bedtime, um, that she can give her that little power nap um, later in the afternoon just for... 15 to 20 minutes uh, so it's not an entire sleep cycle um, but it can just some parents call them bridging naps um, and it will just help her baby um, make it through until that 8 p.m bedtime i often call mm. it your get out of jail free card um, when you're <laughs> transitioning when you're a parent transitioning <laughs> between naps you're in a if you can just move to the one nap and grit your teeth mm. and this would be a, a case where you do need to distract your 11 month old um, to try and keep her up until as close as you can to the 8 p.m bedtime but if you're just having a day and it's just not going to mm. happen then um, you can give her a little um, power nap and that might be in the car or the pram um, we don't know if you've got any older children Diana um, often um, it, it, for families that do have older children a power nap can happen after pick up from kinder or school of a, you know an older sibling um, mm. and then you can stay on track for that 8pm bedtime uh, and yeah. drop the power nap. The need for that power nap will then, um, you know, will, will decrease um, after yeah. the first week. Yeah, you could try and phase it out pretty quickly if you're having to offer it. And I think it's a good point too that if you're struggling in those first few days, you know, you're going to be trying to create a lot of distractions to kind of get them through to nap time and stretch them out a little bit. Um, but you might also just find they're just so wound up and exhausted and just cranky and tricky to settle. Um, that's nothing to panic about either. Um, it might mm. be that for a few days you actually plan to be driving somewhere at nap time and they have their nap in the car so that you're not having to work extra hard to settle a really, really cranky baby. Um, it's fine to give yourself an easy win for some of those nap settles and just do a car or a pram nap um, just to kind of see you through. And it will get mm. it will definitely get easier over the next week or so. Yeah. Excellent. So thank you so much to all the Sombal parents who send in these great questions because I know that there will be so many other parents out there who listen and who, you know, gain something from hearing these answers. Um, if you're really struggling with baby sleep, please go check out the Sombal program. We've worked so hard to make it this <laughs> really brilliant resource. And if you've been working through Sombal and you've got feedback for us, we're all ears. We'd love to hear it. Um, we might wrap that up there until next yeah. week. So thank you so much for listening in. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you need help with your baby's sleep or settling, then you need Sombell. Sombell is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic for babies aged 0 to 12 months. It contains all the best resources from Dr. Fallon and Dr. Laura's sleep clinics, so you can rest easy and soak in your baby. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au.